Costello. I'm going to New York with you. You know, Bucky Harris, the Yanks manager, gave me a job as coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, Habit, if you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know, I, mean, I never met the guys, so you'll have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you their names, but you know, strange it may seem, they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and... His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their French cousin. French? Gouffet. Gouffet Dean. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, let's see what we have on the back. Hello again, everybody. This is Rich Martin, and we are coming to you with the podcast, A Life in Baseball, A Life in General. We're in the 12th inning. Oh, my goodness. The 12th inning. Uh, Yeah, we um, published uh, our 11th inning last week. This is the 12th, and guess what? We're back to baseball. Baseball has returned. Thank the Lord. And, uh, I mean, today I, I uh, I was actually watching an inter squad game uh, between the Mets uh, players just to watch some baseball. I watched it online. It was really, really cool uh, <laughs> to see the guys. Now, you know, a lot of people don't like to watch baseball on TV or go to a game. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. The game has so many intricacies. There are so many little things that happen during a ball game. What happens uh, uh, with the pitch count? What happens in, in extra innings? Now with the uh, DH um, for both leagues, it'll take away some of the suspense. But I'll tell you, I coached in college ball for all those years, and uh, we always had the DH. And I wanted, I mean, ex- except at the very beginning when I was at Dominican in the early 80s. Uh, but other than that, we had the DH all the way through the career. And uh, believe me, it, it doesn't change the game that much. I mean, it gives you some more offense, which is always a positive thing, it seems to me. Although I still love to watch those one nothing games, 2-1 games. I love to, you know, watch the uh, the bases loaded, nobody out, one run behind. I love all that strategy. And, um, you know, I, I used to love uh, walking people intentionally. I put in my head, there were a lot of things that I thought I did that other coaches didn't do. For instance... I never heard anybody do this for I did, and I would, to keep the guys in the game, I would have them, when we had a man on first base, um, we would yell back when the guy threw over to try to pick him off, or be second or be third. The entire dugout would yell back. If they didn't, they'd pay the price, usually some laps. And then we'd put him in a well, or, you know, if they had a I mean, one clown always would stand next to me and scream in my ear, so it sounded like everybody was yelling, but I, I knew, you know, who the guys were. I mean, I would I would always talk to them in the dugout. What's the count? What's the score? I mean, when I used to have what the score was with the scoreboard standing right there lit up. That was scary. But uh, I thought it was important that they concentrate. And I like to think that my teams were really smart. We really knew the game. And I always thought that I would be coaching to... allow them to coach when they got older, that I was teaching them the game as well as trying to improve them. And um, I I used to call all the pitches, which a lot of guys don't like to do. And um, I had a couple of catches through the years that I would ultimately give them um, uh, their head and let them call their own pitches after I had schooled them in my theory, which changed with every pitcher, but basically was pitching backward setting up a pitch uh, that uh, would allow the batter to be off balance. 
we always believed in in pitching to contact, although that's difficult in this era to to uh, translate because guys want to throw everybody out. You know, chicks dig the ling- long ball and chicks dig the strikeout pitcher. You know, those K's up in the uh, grandstand for every strikeout and all that craziness. But um, in calling pitches, um, I like to think that uh, and and the numbers show it, you know what I mean? The stats show that we did a, a good job. And when I say we, I'm not saying just me. Uh, the catcher had input of, uh, in, input. of course, the pitcher had tremendous input. I'm not going to force him to throw a pitch he didn't want to pitch if he really didn't want it. And after every inning, we would talk about our, our chain of, of pitches and how we worked batters and going in and out. I mean, basically my concept was I would call the pitch and I would give the pitcher and the catcher the opportunity to call the location unless there was a location that I needed. Um, I I was a big proponent of the 0-2 pitch away, fastball away, because uh, I I thought, and you know, a lot of guys want to, a lot of pitching coaches want their pitchers to be able to um, you know, uh, get get the fewest amount of pitches, and, and I agree with that. I don't want every count going three and two for sure, because the batting average changes dramatically. Uh, the batting average on an 0-0 count is much different than the batting average on an 0-1 count, or certainly an 0-2 count, or a 2-1 count, or a 2-0 count, or 3-1 count is much different, much higher batting average. Um, as well. Another concept, I don't want to jump around, but I want to, there's a couple things I want to get to today, so I don't want to take too long with this. Another concept, I've been going on these, um, on, online, I enjoy going on the uh, 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 baseball uh, sites, to, you know, uh, for instruction. And a parent or, or a player will say, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Uh, a young man today wrote, uh, I'm sorry, it was his dad who wrote in, he was 15, a lefty and wanted to know what the best pitch was for him to throw. And um, there's a quick story of uh, one of my guys who um, went for a uh, tryout. Uh, I got him uh, to, to be able to throw it uh, at the time, Shea Stadium. And he was going for a Mets tryout. It was towards the end of the season. He was a big lefty. And um, I'm not sure I, I want to mention his name. I love him and I, and I, I really should. And he's doing some stuff now in baseball training, but I'm going to check with him first, and then, and then I'll make sure. Uh, but anyway, um, so he went to Shea, and um, and he sat in the dugout waiting his turn, and each pitcher went out and threw. They had a couple of guys throwing to some hitters, and it was a tryout before the uh, draft right at the beginning of June, and our season was over. And uh, so he went, and he, and he sat um, – in the dugout, and he sat next to this guy in the dugout, you know, older guy, and uh, and they said hello to each other, and they were talking uh, back and forth, and um, another player that was with him came down and and um, went down the steps of the dugout and saw this player, um, I saw the, these two guys sitting there, my lefty pitcher and this older guy, and he 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 opened his mouth, he said, oh my God. And my guy looked at him and said, what? What's the big deal? You know, I just walked in with you, you know, two minutes ago. He said, you know who you're sitting next to? So uh, he goes, "Um, no, I really don't. And he thought he might have been like a coach or a manager. Well, it turned out 
that he was sitting next to Tom Seaver. And Seaver had been there to do some promotional stuff for the Mets, and he was in the dugout watching these guys uh, throw. And he um, immediately turned and said, Mr. Seaver, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was you. You know, it's difficult to recognize you. He says, I know I should wear a number 41 on my forehead so people know who I am. But, I mean, it was unmistakable, of course, Tom Seaver, uh, one of the all-time greats. And um, and so um, th- both of them, both guys said, uh, can we ask you some questions? He says, guys, I, I got to go. I really have to go. My time is up here. He said, all right, listen, I'll, a- I'll, make you ask- one- I'll answer one question. Make it good. Make it good. And so the other fella that had come in with my picture said, well, what's, what's your best pitch? What's the best pitch that you throw and how do you throw it? And Tom Seaver looked at both of them and said, my best pitch is strike one, and I threw it right over the middle of the plate. Well, that's a big deal, and that's what I wrote in this kid's, to this kid's father. What's the best pitch for a lefty 15 years old who's got some good stuff? Strike one. Very, very important. Strike one. Now, I want to mention a story that um, happened a while ago. Um, and this was, uh, you know, we used to do something with all our teams uh, throughout the years. Uh, and this happened um, at Hofstra. I started it there uh, because the athletic director was um, not a good person. And, um, and so I wanted to break his shoes. I, I had a bad habit of annoying uh, athletic directors over the years. That's why uh, Gene Marshall... God bless him, and, and Mike Ricciardi, may he rest in peace, um, were two people that I adored. Um, and there were a lot of great ADs that I had. Steve Kelly, I don't know how he let me get away with the stuff at Dominican. He was outstanding, and uh, uh, as I say, Gene was great at um, at uh, Ramapo. The other guys uh, and, and gals, not so much. But um, at... at um, at Hofstra, um, in order to break the shoes of the AD, there was a player I had there who had a, um, a necklace around his neck. And I thought the necklace was really cool. And, and, and the necklace um, was, was three, it was gold, and it was in three stages. It had three words attached in vertical order. And, and the three words were God, team, me. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and, and, uh, so I wanted to, uh, break some shoes. Now, this guy was absolutely non-sectarian. God forbid, you know, Hofstra, it was a private, uh, school, and God forbid you would say anything, um, you know, religious-wise, uh, you wouldn't do that. But I said, what the hell? And he had made it clear. Somebody had said something about, uh, about Jesus Christ or something like that, and he, Got upset. Well, it was another coach on another team. Anyway, um, so I got some shirts. I bought some shirts for the guys that had. Um, I mean, I had. A, I got in trouble all the time. I had one set of shirts at um, at Hofstra. Uh, with a, the picture is on the front in uniform. It was, you know, a um, a, a, um, a logo with a picture, a character of a picture, and he was throwing the ball. And on the back of the shirt, it said, "Hofstra pitchers use the rubber." And uh, that got me uh, almost suspended. But this shirt uh, was another shirt with a, a player's 
uh, face on it, and on the back it said, just like the medal, the medallion that this guy had, God, Team Me. God was in large letters on the back, uh, Team was in little smaller letters, and Me was in the smallest letters. And I thought that was cool. And I, you know, we, oh, we always, one of the things that I did at all the schools I went to at, at um, uh, Dominican, at Hofstra, at Ramapo, is that when we worked out in the gym, on the field, we were always in uniform. If we were in the gym, we had the same T-shirt and we had the same uh, um, shorts on or sweats or whatever it might be. Uh, gear was always a big deal. You know, I, and, and it was real early in my career when I learned it's all about the gear. So anyway, I got these shirts made, and we walked around. There's a picture, or it wasn't a picture. It was a player on the front chest of the shirt, and in the back, God Team Me. Well, the athletic director went ballistic. He went crazy, and he calls me in. He's this is, uh, I don't want to think this is BS, and uh, we're not sectarian. You can't say God. Well, I said, well, I didn't say you know, Jesus or Abraham or, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, I didn't uh, use the Torah or, uh, uh, you know, whatever the very, you know, Buddha, whatever it might be. I just said, God, he goes, that's, ah, it's absolutely out of the question. So I was pissed. So I collected all the shirts. I didn't know what to do, <coughs> but I knew that I wasn't going to just throw them away. I bought them myself. I mean, I took the money out of my pocket, and I wasn't going to, you know, throw them away. So what I decided to do, I, um, I got a magic marker, and I colored in the, the G on God on the back of the shirt, and I made the, the shirt uh, say Ood, O-O-D. So now the shirt said Ood Team Me. And I thought I would be able to get away with that. Well, lo and behold, we put, gave them back the shirts. The guys were wearing them. And we're at practice. We're wearing the shirts. And he walks in. And he sees the shirts. So I see he's not steamed, but he's curious. He comes over to me. And he says, uh, what's this? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I said, I said, well, you told me to get rid of the God. He said, well, what's this? I said, well, Ood is the God of baseball. He said, excuse me? I said, Ood represents baseball. I said, this is an old, you got to remember, I said, baseball comes from, a lot of baseball comes from the Indians, like lacrosse did. This is, you know, they played early games of baseball. And so Ood was the god of baseball. He goes, really? I said, sure, you can, you can ask anybody. So, of course, he was a pompous, and he, uh, he was all full of himself, that he wouldn't dare check. And there was, no, this is in... 19, uh, must have been 93 or 94, so he wasn't about to go to Google, which wasn't invented yet, and he didn't want to look like an ass, and so he basically accepted it. So we walked around with, 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 with Ood Team Me on the back of our uh, jerseys, and then what we did year after year after that, what we would do is that we would sacrifice to Ood. At the beginning of the season, we would go into the locker room and all the, we dress up one freshman. Now, this isn't, don't dare say that we're, um, you know, hazing or any of that crap, because he was, he was special. He was this freshman, and we put a, a cape around him and made his face like as an Indian, you know, with like, uh, you know, the different marks on his face, and we put a 
over something over his head, and we, and we let him bring in the actual statue of Ud. Over the years, Ud has been a Buddha-like character. It's been whatever. I, I keep the same Ud until I drop it or break it. Every once in a while, in a huge slump, uh, we would bring Ud with us, either to the dugout at home or on the field. And a couple of times, Ud's been dropped along the way. <clears throat> the last dude was sort of like a Buddha-like figure. I still have him. He's downstairs in my basement. I go down there and rub his belly every once in a while. And um, and so we would have this ceremony where everyone would sacrifice. Ud would come in, and he would stand, and we would at Ramapo, we would sacrifice, and we'd put it on the top of the locker, the top of the m- middle of the locker room. We had our lockers surrounding the room, and we put all these things. And each kid would get up. And, and sacrifice something for the year. So sometimes it was really cool. There'd be guys who would uh, sacrifice, uh, you know, f- a f- food. Like, I'm not going to have any more McDonald's French fries so that I, uh, I won't gain weight. And he'd bring French fries in. Uh, guys would traditionally bring in a brassiere or a panties. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, we're done until the season is over. I can't concentrate with her and hit at the same time. It's probably true. And um, we had a guy one time who I just uh, uh, spoke to the other day. I, I reached out, and I hadn't spoken to him in years, who bought a hunting knife and, and put it up there. You know, we put everything up there. Um, ultimately, uh, it, it got to public safety <clears throat> that we had this huge knife, on, and they came in, confiscated it, and, of course, that sent me to the um, athletic director. But the bottom line was that the things they, they sacrificed, for the most part, you know, personal. And uh, and I swear there'll be times when, um, and Ud, of course, sat there the entire uh, season. There'd be times when I, you know, I, I didn't really want to bother them in the locker. I only would use it for, we'd catch a, have a meeting in there once in a while. I put sofas in there, and I, I dressed up the place. I put the captain's pictures. I tried to make it as professional as possible. The names and numbers were on the, each locker. It's pretty cool, I thought. Uh, one of the nice things that Hofstra gave us was that locker, until they took it away and had us uh, share it uh, without, you know, they had to have, uh, they made brand new lockers for basketball, and then basketball had to share them as well. So it shows uh, what direction they were going in. But anyway, um, so um, the, these, um, <clears throat> the locker room, um, I wouldn't bother them too much, but every once in a while I'd go in and I'd see a guy actually staring at Ood, like uh, up on top of the locker, and basically praying to him, saying, uh, please, I need a hit, I need this and that. You know, it brings your mind back to Major League and Joe Boo and um, stuff like that. But uh, the amount of, of uh, condoms, the amount of alcohol, uh, beer cans and, and bottles of rum and and I'll tell you something, I'm very proud of the way they handled it. I'm not saying that we never had a drink or smoked a joint or even did worse, but I am saying that we were on top of it. And for that period of time, that period of time from, say, the end of January to the end of our season, I can honestly say that I, I wanted them to maximize their effort, and they did. Now, again, uh, our rules, one of our rules was making sure that 
Um, there was a 48-hour rule for a game as far as drinking. It was tough for them to do well. I'm sure they did, but it was tough because I, I would drug test them. So that was, uh, God bless G. Marshall. He gave me the permission. I told the story previously, but he gave me the permission to drug test them. And I bought the drug text on my own. As I said, to this day, drugs in bulk continue to contact me, wanting to know if I want, you know, 100 uh, drug tests for cocaine and so on and so forth. It was interesting that um, <clears throat> the drug tests um, basically uh, exposed the guys, and I and they did it. What, what happened was the guy, the captains would would. I wasn't involved at all. The captains would do the drug tests. And they would talk to the players. If a player was um, was tested positive for something, uh, they would, um, you know, they, they would reach him and they'll reach out to him and say to him, "You're going to be tested again in 30 days." Uh, at that point, if in fact uh, you're, um, you know, you're still positive, then we're going to go to coach and you're going to be suspended. Now, ultimately, our drug testing. Uh, through Gene Marshall and through uh, the, the guys, convinced the school to do their own drug testing. It's a disgrace that we had, did it on our own, and we were the only team that did it. Um, I'll tell you a million stories about that, but I'm saving that for a later day. So um, the, the, uh, we did do a good job during the season <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> of maximizing our effort by, by watching our bodies, watching our minds, you know, we, we stuck together a great deal. Uh, I was always a, a positive getting ready for Florida. I would gear, you know, over the years of coaching, I, I realized how to gear them to come out of the starting gate, which was huge. I mean, we had seasons, we had years in Florida. We were 10-0 and 0 down there, 8-2. and 2. 2015, when we were number one in the nation, that's right, Ramapo College was the number one Division three team in the nation for a period of about three, two, three weeks. Um, we, went, we, we started 10-0 and 0 in uh, playing uh, nationally ranked teams in Florida. We always got out of the gate fairly strong. Uh, as, long as, I had, uh, an, as long as I had one or two pitchers and as long as I was able to manipulate the lineup a little bit and, and I was, as long as I convinced them to follow me, which wasn't always easy, as you well know if you're a coach. Um, we were we got off to a, a strong start and we were able to do some. I had the greatest kids in the world. I really did. So anyway, um, this Ood situation um, continued, and and uh, and we did that before um, every game. No, I didn't. I didn't do that in in the. That came to me only because of what happened with that AD. Uh, and to this day, um, uh, I hear that um, some people are still interested in doing it. I'm, I don't know if they do. Uh, since I've retired, they've copied a lot of stuff, and I'm happy they have. Uh, hopefully, it'll help them. Um, but um, that was something that was always um, always interesting, and, and um, I, I really like to think that it helped us. Now, we added on other stuff uh, Doug A. Day, um, who I adore and who was a tremendous influence on the team. Doug, um, Doug coached with us. Doug A. Day, in my opinion, turned the program around. When I came in, it was the worst program in the NJAC. It was terrible. They hadn't had a, a winning season in years. 
um, the, the team was the 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 former coach uh, of the team um, had just taken over. He wasn't there long, and uh, I took over for him, and it was a mess. You know, I mean, when you change coaches, it becomes uh, crazy. Um, anyway, so for the first couple of years, it was difficult. But Doug A Day had come from. Uh, Texas. Uh, we, had, we were running the camp, and we had a, um, excuse me, <coughs> we had a um, uh, a team that played, an outside team that played, uh, that represented the camp, the all-star camp. And, uh, and so um, I put an ad out uh, uh, to, to bring players in, in the general area, you know, New Jersey, New York, and such. I got a, 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 an email or a call from Doug's dad, and he they lived in Texas, right outside of Dallas, and um, he wanted to send Doug to All-Stars, sight unseen, he didn't know me, he didn't know, I mean, of course, we had some notoriety uh, at the time, we had been in business uh, probably for about 10, 15 years, and uh, he literally sent his son to me at 15, 16 years old. Um, two, um, at the time I was living, uh, on Long Island and, um, and he moved in, he had his own room and it was the greatest thing because I finally found an eating partner, man, he could eat. Let me tell you, I think he could still eat for the last time I checked, but he was awesome. He, we would go to lunch every day. And we'd go to this place called, uh, well, it was it, it was the same type of place um, as Latito's. Well, it was, I guess it was at Latito's for, uh, many times, but also places like that where they had these enormous overstuffed sandwiches. We'd have these enormous lunches. And then, of course, that we would prepare ourselves for an enormous dinner. I had like a partner now to go to restaurants with, you know, because otherwise I was coaching and running around like a lunatic with camp. So this poor kid must have gained like uh, 20 pounds uh, the first week that he was with me. Anyway, he comes in and um, he had, what had happened was, and he, and he worked at six, again, 16. He worked at camp, played on the team. Um, I wasn't I wasn't coaching. I was concentrating. I had left Hofstra. I took off four years. I was running Rich Martin's baseball road trips. I was uh, taking kids to Florida uh, to play ball, as, as I mentioned before. And anyway, um, he um, um, he played and uh, at the camp, and then um, of course graduated high school. We stayed in touch. He'd come every year, and he got a scholarship to the University of Arkansas. At about the same time, I got the job at uh, Ramapo. And my first hire was Vic Rosario Zuki, uh, Coach Zuki, Z-U-K-I-E. And um, we got started, and uh, Doug was at uh, at uh, University of Arkansas and miserable because he wasn't playing a lot. You know, he was a freshman and such, but we knew he could play. So Zuki said, wouldn't it be great if we brought Doug A. Day to Ramapo College? Um, I said, it'd be great, but, you know, he's getting money. I don't want to be an instigator. We have no money here. It's Division Three. I said, leave it alone. Of course, Zuki, in his infinite wisdom, decided not to leave it alone, and it was probably one of the best decisions he ever made. He called Doug, and he convinced Doug to come to Ramapo. Doug comes in, 
and turns the program around. I've had a lot of guys that have played for me that have gone on to the major leagues, uh, a couple of, a couple of dozen, but nobody, well, maybe one guy I can compare to hit the ball like Doug A. Day. His hands were so incredibly strong that he was able, and I used to say this, and they laughed at me. They, they teased him. I say that he would be able to, to change his swing in mid-swing. That's how, how uh, strong his hands were. How do I know? Because he lifted. I've only been lifted off, off the ground. You know, I, I am uh, somewhat uh, large, and I um, uh, and don't. I know some people are saying, "How large are you?" Well, we don't want to discuss that. But anyway, um, I've only been lifted off my feet a number of times. I remember Joe Venturino. My my my. Uh, I can't say enough about Joe. We'll talk about him. He lifted me up uh, the day that we were eliminated from uh, the World Series in Wisconsin. I think he had uh, some extra power because of the alcohol. That's a great story that I'll tell eventually. The NCAA is not going to like it too much. He lifted me up. Um, there was a guy who played for me at a, a, an Lady Guadalupe and who went on to be drafted by the Seattle Mariners. His name was T- Tim McLaughlin. And he would speak on behalf of, um, of not using tobacco because poor Tim had half of his jaw removed from tobacco use. He always had a, a pack in, always was had a jaw in. So... Um, those are the only two guys I could think of that ever lifted me off my feet. And um, uh, Doug did that kidding around one day. That's how strong he was. He was an outstanding hitter. Didn't know the first thing, or I shouldn't say didn't know the first thing. Didn't care about the first thing. Didn't care about approach. You know, um, didn't care about, you know, again, if it was 2-0, you could sit on a pitch. Didn't, didn't matter to him if the ball was where he wanted it or where he felt he could hit it, he swung. He, he didn't really care. We, there was a, an instance where we were at Ramapone, we were in a tournament playing Dominican, the, my former school. And there was, a, um, uh, there was a pitcher on the mound for Dominican, a big lefty who was being looked at. The only reason Doug didn't get drafted, and I really believe this in my heart, one, he was more of a He's more interested in football than baseball, I think. And number two, um, he didn't have a position. He really wasn't a... He was a good player. He caught, he played the outfield, he played the infield. He, I moved him to third. He played everywhere. I've had great success in in moving people around. Nicky Sparra, who played at Ramapo, was, played, came in as a, a middle infielder and turned out... And he, he flew, turned out to be one of the the best center fielders I've ever seen, uh, college, pros, anything. He was unbelievable, Nicky Sparrow. I love him, too. Great kid. I think they just had a – did they have this, a second baby? I don't know. I can't keep up with all the babies. It's crazy. But anyway, um, so so um, Doug um, didn't get drafted, but he was going to face this kid today who eventually did get drafted, and I don't remember his name. Anyway, long story short – Four for four, as hard as the kid threw, that's as hard as Doug turned the ball around up up the middle through the box and almost killed the kid. So um, you know the idea was the idea was that he was a great player, and once they saw and he single handedly won some games for us, and then we started get bringing in guys. I'm not going to name everybody because I'm going to leave somebody out, 
But I had mentioned previously Aaron Eiler was in that group and Sean Burstein and, and uh, other guys that came in. And I'll, I'll eventually mention all of them uh, and turned it around. So Doug, um, I thought it w- did an outstanding job of, of us having, of us beginning the program. And then he came on, um, afterwards he became a teacher. He's a teacher at uh, some sort of administrator at Ridgewood High School here in New Jersey uh, and went on um, to uh, coach and be, uh, become our recruiting coordinator, brought in out, uh, ama- I mean, he's super bright and was able to bring in amazing talent for us and great kids. Well, I thought most of them were great. Some, as it turned out, had some faults in their character, but that's for another day, uh, although we addressed it. Um, so um, I-, I wanted to mention Doug and, and make sure you un- understood, you know, another guy who, and I say we didn't do this in, in when we were at a, a Lady of Guadalupe, but there was another guy by the name of Bobby Parks who I adore, and he's, you know, up now, he's not, you know, it's not as old as me, obviously, because I coached him. But we went, um, we went all over together. And when he was younger, we went to the um, the tournament of champions for the Babe Ruth League uh, in Seattle, Washington. Um, he was a right-handed pitcher. He was a he was a character, and he still is a character. One of the great stories is when he was he became a detective, and he called me one time, and and I couldn't. He sounded a little weird, and I said, "What is there something wrong?" He goes, "Yeah, I was, I was taking pictures of some woman cheating on her husband, and I and I was in a tree, and I fell out of the tree when I was taking the pictures." Well, I, that didn't surprise me uh, with Bobby. He, he's he's the man. I we tried many times f- f- to get together in coaching, but he wasn't able to. He lives in Southern Jersey, and I'm, of course, I'm up here in Northern Jersey, and it never worked out. But but we were in a, a tournament one time, and we were at a, at a marine park in Brooklyn where there were great fields, and they were doing construction. I don't know what they were building there. So uh, surrounding um, uh, the playing fields, there were these enormous uh, mounds of dirt and, and cement and cinder block, and um, the game was going on, and, and Bobby wanted to pitch, you know. And I said, all right, I'll get you in. He says, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down. And I, I, these guys do it all the time. CJ um, used to uh, always, CJ used to always start to throw when I told him that I'd get to him eventually. And then I'd look down the bullpen. He was ready to go. I think he warmed up every day. Um, I mean, he was, uh, he was the best. But anyway, um, what did I say? CJ, I meant PJ. Um, PJ Serretto. Uh, he was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds and hurt his arm, unfortunately. So Bobby wants to get in. He keeps pushing me. Now he's in the pen throwing. He's driving me crazy. And I said, look, just get away from me. And he refused to get away. He kept coming at me. Could I go in? Could I go in? Could I go in? I said, will you leave me alone? He, he said, what do I have to do to get into the game? I said, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you got to do something spectacular. And so I never should have said that because five minutes later, uh, I look up and Bobby has positioned himself on one of the mounds of dirt. Now, unfortunately, the mound of dirt was about 25 feet tall. And there he was on top of this mound with a ball in his hand looking in for the sign. And I shit myself because there he was, Guff, but he would have fallen off. He was two stories in the air. 
So I, I called time, and he we got him down, and I made the change right there. I put him right in the game, right there. I, I couldn't I couldn't afford his. <laughs> he was crazy, but I love him to pieces. His son was a great player, and um, uh, every once in a while I get a chance to uh, to deal with uh, Bobby. You know this story uh, about uh, Oud um, reminds me of of, of the. Of the Fakawi Indians, who who did uh, do a lot to um, invent baseball, I won't go into all the details, but but they um, from them comes the search of of looking for the god of baseball, Ud, and they traveled all over the world, and they traveled all over the you know through mountains and through rivers, and 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 they would uh, they'd go into a new town in the west and. People would see this Indian group walking in, and they'd say, uh, "You know, who are you? We're the Fakawis, and we're looking for Ood." And um, they never could find them. And this went on and on and on and on. Finally, a couple of cowboys decided to help them, and so they started traveling with them. And uh, they kept traveling and kept traveling. And finally, finally, um, one day. Um, one of the cowboys asked how they had gotten their name. He had never heard of the Fakawi Indians before. And how would they, would they got the name? He goes, well, it's, it's funny. It happened on the trip, on one of the trips when we were trying to find Oud. We would travel around. We'd go through mountains and rivers. And, and one day we found ourselves on a cliff. And we looked down, and the bottom of the cliff was like, you know, 100 feet, 200 feet. We didn't know what was going on. We looked around, we looked at each other, and we said, where the fuck are we? And that's how we got our name. I'll be right back. I wanted to tell one more story, uh, uh, talking about the conditions of the fields that we played in. It's so nice to play on nice fields. Of course, the fields, because the programs that I took over were so terrible, we played on these terrible fields. And I remember a story um, of when we were at Hofstra, uh, we built the field from scratch. I mean, you know, they, it was, it was a disaster. They have a beautiful ballpark now at Hofstra with, um, I believe it's a turf infield and a grass outfield, or it might be the reverse. I haven't been back in a while, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's a turf infield and a grass outfield. Of course, God forbid they should go all to turf. That would mean spending money on baseball, but that's another story. So um, anyway, we, we, they laid the field out, and we played, and I had a, an outfielder. His name was Sean Riley. He was another character. He was a great kid. I loved him to pieces. He worked hard, and he was a real pepper pot. He played hard, um, a lefty-lefty, and... Um, and I would come, and he would say to me all the time. He'd say, "You know, uh, we got to get this field straightened out. It's terrible. I mean, guys were getting hit off the head on ground balls. Um, again, this is it was all beat up. It was terrible. And of course, they let soccer play on it. They let other things go on around it. You know, they had no clue. But anyway, um, Hofstra was the place where they didn't want me to go to Florida because it was too much. This was a Division One." NCA program that didn't want to go to spring training. Now nah, you don't need it when you start the season. That's what the athletic director told me. You know, you'll start the season, you'll be fine. I, I, it was baffling. 
uh, anyway, the first, and in the first year, I finally got them. We got really, I finally convinced them after driving them crazy, as I was known to do, and we wound up going to um, to play in in um, all Division twos in Florida. We played Barry and we played Tampa. Uh, we played. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the school where Jacob Degrom uh, played. Uh, Stetson, we played all the Division twos, all Florida schools. They cleaned our clock. I remember um, when we played um, Tampa. Tampa was great, beautiful facility. They have uh, Tampa looks like you're in Moscow. What they have these uh, great uh, buildings that, uh, that look like uh, buildings in the center of Moscow. I remember that um, we were in Tampa, and um, and I went out to the mound. And, you know, they would play music whenever the game stopped. I went out to the mound, and I walked back to um, to uh, the dugout after I went out to the mound, and and everybody in the stands was laughing, and the players were, like, sort of put their heads down. I didn't give up much thought. And, um, I mean, this was my first year, Division uh, One after coming from Dominican. I didn't know what was going on. So I went out again, same thing, went out the third time. And this time when I came back, some of the guys were on the floor, hysterical laughing. So I couldn't figure out what was going on. The game ended. We wound up actually winning that game. I think it was the only game we won. Uh, and I went to one of my assistants. I said, could I ask you a question? What was so funny? What were they talking about in the dugout? Well, it seems that every time I would go to the mound, they would play the theme from Fat Albert, the Fat Albert uh, TV show, Bill Cosby. And uh, that's how I was introduced uh, to Florida. And um, I think it was around the same time that somebody yelled out, one man to a uniform, uh, which I wasn't uh, especially impressed with. But uh, listen, you want to eat, you know, lasagna, on a regular basis, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta pay the price. What could I tell you? All right. At this point, um, I wanted to play for you. I know. I hope last week you listened to the first baseball game announced by Harry Carey. It is worth your listen. And this thing I'm going to play now, I'm going to just surprise you. It's just a great moment in baseball, and I'm not going to say more than that. But please pay attention, or I should say, well, forget about paying attention. Those days are over, right? But please continue to listen, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It'll only be a couple of minutes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you're interested in buying some cigars, allstarcigarco.com, um, the cheapest and the best on the Internet. Um, please come back and uh, hang out with us next week, and uh, we'll have some more stories for you. All right, please stay tuned. God bless. We'll see you soon. All right, one second. Uh, I did forget uh, to finish the story about Sean Riley. Um, so Sean had complained about the, uh, you know, the field and such, and uh, his main complaint was that there was no warning track. You know, in baseball, in every stadium in the world, there's a, a warning track that warns the outfielder who's looking at the ball and not the wall to um, to get a feel for when he hits the when he hits the warning track that gravel he knows he's close to the wall and has to protect himself. Well, we didn't have anything there. The grass went right to the fence. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was the only probably ballpark in the country.
that did that. And so we complained and complained and complained, and they didn't even listen to me. It was nothing. Until one day, uh, the, the, the same Shaw and Riley was tracking a fly ball, hit the uh, grass instead of gravel, and, and ran right into the fence and almost killed himself. I mean, uh, lawsuits were pending. It was funny that within a couple of days, there was a new gravel uh, track. And it didn't even, it wasn't even done properly. It was done along the outfield fence. It has to be along the sidelines in front of the dugout. But that's how um, bad it was. But we did get our gravel fence. Sean almost killed himself. I think he almost ran through the fence. And back then, there was a wooden fence. I think now it's padded, as them most are in the major leagues. So I just wanted to finish that story, and uh, I guess I have. I did a little editing job. I don't know. We'll see how it comes out in the finished product. But um, now let's listen to that um, that song I was talking about, and we'll see you next week. Take care. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the duke. Now, my old friend, the bachelor, well, he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the duke. Me, I always loved Willie May. Those were the days. Well, now it's the 80s, and Brett is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking like Reggie Cuisinberry talking baseball Carew and Gaylord Perry Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt and by the blue If Cooperstown is calling it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke It was weird.